guys, we're in the middle of a pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadro Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Quadcast Nation, Quadcast Nation now begins. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We have one of my favorite human beings, Dr. Monica Gandhi, infectious disease doctor, HIV researcher, and holistic approach in COVID, not only researcher, commentator, article writer, like just a wonderful human being talking about how we need to be more holistic in this podcast, we go over why she doesn't think a third wave is coming, the value of vaccines, when we're going to get back to normal life, why instead of cases, we should be looking at hospitalizations. We talk about school closures and how that's impacting the kids and society and so much more. You guys are going to love this one. Before we dive into it, a couple of things. Check out our Solvent Healthcare store at solvinghealthcare.ca backslash shop. We got our summits low carb. We got a resilience summit as well. We got our merch. No, I'm saying so don't hesitate to check that out. Also reach out to me at quadcast99 at gmail.com. If you're looking for any speaking engagements, this has been one of the blessings for me in 2021, being able to reach out to our community when it comes to systemic racism, when it's COVID response comes to ICU and resource utilization. It's been a real privilege to be able to send a word out to the to all you cats. So uh, reach out if you're looking for uh, a guest speaker or keynote speaker. We really appreciate it. Okay, we're just going to jump into it. Monica Gandhi, as I mentioned, researcher, COVID informer, and just an overall wonderful human being. We're going to dive into it. So without further ado, Monica Gandhi. Quadcast Nation, we have a recurrent guest, but not just any recurrent guest. We're talking Monica Gandhi, okay? Like she is already, I want to say, like the queen when it comes to HIV research and just overall common sense-ism, knowledge throwing down-ism when it comes to COVID. But she's been a refreshing side to, to this whole COVID discussion. And I was... So pleased to have her back on the show because I know you're a hot commodity, Monica, right now. Am I wrong? No, I'm not. I'm not. Oh, my goodness. You just told me today you got some busting out in USA Today, which we'll allude to in a second. But you and I have both been been very advocating for the school issue. I mean, well, we, we can yeah. jump on it right now, actually. Yeah. School closures. Okay. Yeah. Um, where, where can we start? 
I've been of the component uh, proponent of keeping them open, not only because of they don't seem to be a major source of spread, but obviously for the negative consequences for our, for our youth and also the disenfranchised because they're being impacted the most by school closures. It's how a human, you, right, human yeah, rights. How do you feel? How do you feel? Tell me about yeah, this. I, I, so, so I think there are four things, actually, and this is the easiest way to break it down. Um, I think that the, the, the human rights issue is a real one, that it, um, the mental health effects, the obesity, the depression, everything that's going on um, is really rising to the fore. And uh, the second, um, with school closures. Second, we have to say that children are not at significant risk of poor outcomes from COVID. As of March 3rd, uh, 286 children have died from COVID in the U.S., each death is a tragedy, but that is actually similar to the number who die of influenza uh, compared to greater than 420,000 um, deaths in adults. So it is something that affects children, the, the infection itself. Um, and M- MIS-C uh, is rare but treatable. Mm-hmm. Second, like you said, viral spread doesn't occur in schools if you use the appropriate mitigation strategies. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Herg, um, who is the author of this Wisconsin MMWR study, was Beautiful. really surprised that the CDC took her study and said, um, why would you use community prevalence as a marker when you can open? Because the Wisconsin study, some of the community prevalence rates were over 40%, and she showed zero transmissions to staff, seven across many, many 4,000 students, seven infections in children didn't occur in school. Mm. And then third, no science supports the six-foot distance. I'm sorry that you <laughs> you guys are metric, right? Um, so yeah, I, we, think we, you, I think they, they make us do two meters. Okay. Which okay. is like six. No science and, yeah. seems to support that. And actually her Wisconsin study, she submitted a reanalysis to a big journal to, to show it's really three feet or one meter. And then variants will not affect any of the school uh, openings. So, yeah, we are in the human rights uh, world at this point. This is, I mean, when you frame it that way, when you really think about what is being sacrificed and it's, the thing that always kills me with my kids, because this is what is when the gloves came off, when uh, locally, when they decided to close the schools, when our community transmission was low, we had maybe at the time three in the ICU in a city of 1.2 million ish. Um, but it's just like they're the forgotten pieces of this. They're, they're being sacrificed. And to me, it's just unacceptable. You know, yeah, what I'm I think that is now the word unacceptable. That's yeah. that's what Dr. Herg said when he, she sent out this USA Today on, on Twitter today. She said unacceptable that we're sacrificing our children at the altar of fear. Yeah, no. And we're going to we're going to pump. The, this is uh, March 9th. We're going to pump this episode out as soon as possible. But you'll see us pump that out on social media. Uh, you're going to hear me hustle because uh, Monica's got a limited time. So I'm going to it's going to almost rapid fire, almost <laughs> rapid fire. OK. Here's my question for you. Do you anticipate a third wave? We have a lot of polit- uh, a lot of uh, analysts and uh, well, I'll say politicians too, experts that are that are quite anxious that we may be going into a third wave. And I know understand you're in a different part of the world. You're in California. I'm up here in Canada. But your overall impression about the risk currently uh, of a third wave happening? Not at all. Um, and in fact, it would be our fourth in the U.S., but um, not at all. I do not anticipate a fourth surge. Four reasons for that, too. I like four. Um, one is that, uh, you know, one is that um, unlike any other surge, something massive is happening. We're not um, 
just using one more tool in the toolkit. I really hate that expression for vaccines. We're applying the ultimate solution, the veneer to protect us, um, uh, you know, longstanding, which is vaccines. So as we're seeing all these cases and hospitalizations drop since the third surge in this country, it's not dropping like slowly and gradually because we're staying away from each other. It's dropping like a stone because of vaccines. Mm. Second is that, um, you know, uh, watch uh, the UK where they're doing, we have to give them credit, right? We, we both, uh, I'm from India, so, um, <laughs> we, you know, we, we have the UK um, history, but uh, mm-hmm. the UK has uh, done an incredible job with vaccination. National Health Service, by definition, allow, uh, allows this, they, uh, this sort of distribution. They have decided to approve an adenovirus and a two mRNA vaccines. They're doing it fast. And despite B117, which will be my fourth reason, um, with a variant circulating that could be more transmissible, there are still really reduced um, rates of hospitalizations and deaths. And then fourth, people are saying it's the variants. That's why we're going to have another surge. Mm -hmm. Boy, these vaccines work against the variants. I'm going to put it really simply. You can quibble about antibodies and there'll be some like lower neutralizing antibodies, sometimes against some variants. But Boy, remember medical school and, really. and, and how we, <laughs> remember about how we learned from, from about immunology against viruses. It wasn't antibodies, it was T-cells. And, um, you know, I think about the T-cell a lot because I'm an HIV doctor and HIV um, affects the T-cell. But uh, those T-cells will still be, act, that you develop after vaccination will still be active against all the variants. So I am not, I do not think we'll have a fourth search. No. Yeah. No, and I... Uh... Honestly, this might sound a little bit extreme to say, but in some ways, I don't even see how it's logical. Like, I, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't see how it's logical when you're it's locally here or in our nation, we've vaccinated at least our most vulnerable. We're nowhere near the levels that there are in the U.S. But for all the reasons you've mentioned already, we're going into the spring you know, yeah. like we're getting into more outdoor activity. There does seem yeah. to be a, a seasonality to this. Yes. So, yeah, I, I am with you there. And but like I said, I actually don't even see how it's rational for, that some of our experts are saying expect the third wave. Fear, um, you know, fear, keeping people away from each other, shame, stigma. I mean, we've seen this, right? Like this is it is really OK to give good news about the vaccines. It's really okay to start messaging optimism. It's really okay to say we're going to get out of this. You know, I, I deliberately watched Contagion the other day because I had never seen that movie. And, um, you know, this was a terrible infection, whatever this was, <laughs> meningitis, encephalitis, seizures, yeah. respiratory, immediate death. Um, and, uh, and as soon as they got the vaccine, people were cheering up considerably in the yeah. movie, at least. They were yeah. like, this is it. This is this is the solution. Right. And so I was surprised. Um, I'm surprised to see all the doom mongering, uh, doom and gloom right now. You know, it's I think I may I may have heard you say this on another show, but it's it's kind of what we were talking about uh, amongst our group was the people that are there's a few things. The people that are fear mongering or, or hyping up the, the, you know, the variants and so forth. Often they don't see patients. Right. Yes. And often the, the, not having that perspective, like not after having that holistic uh, evaluation, like you and I, like when you see your HIV patient, you have to be have to look at things holistically, personalize it. What's going to work best for, best for that patient? Same when I'm in the ICU, when I got the cardiologist and the nephro- nephrologist saying like, yeah, more fluid, 
no diaries. Like this is my call. This is my call. You know what I'm yes, saying? I'm, yes. I'm like, what's best for my patient at this time? I, I think that piece is missing when you're not at the bedside and the additional component of they're getting a lot of attention right now that they never had before. I mean, maybe they have, but not that I've been aware of. I don't, I don't, I totally, totally agree with you. And this is not, you know, what you just said is just really profoundly reasonable. I was thinking about this last night, actually. MDs are the ones who are in the ICU with the COVID patients. And then they were the ones that um, are in their outpatient setting or in your case, seeing patients without COVID. And they do have a different perspective on the illness, right? Like they have the perspective of seeing the illness. They also have, importantly, the perspective of, I've never sat in front of a patient and said an absolute. Like I've never said to a patient, wear a condom or else. And I've never said stay at home to a single individual because um, stay at home is, you know, belies that some people have to work, that some people are lonely, that some people are widows, that some people are single, that, you know, it's, it's, such, a, it's such a stigmatizing statement. And so, um, so I think that MDs are looking at this differently right now and have informed this response differently. And uh, they, um, they, I don't know about the attention, but I do have to say that there's been a reward for people to go on TV and say really negative, scary, variant, uh, surgy things. I've, I've, uh, I've watched these uh, TV stations and, and newspaper articles put this out again and again. And um, I think it's rewarding. I, I've thought about this phrase of addiction uh, being linked with fear because I, I do work with addic- uh, addiction. Um, and there is something very, uh, there's a hook that comes with fear, right? There's not really a hook that comes with pleasant, nice, um, good stuff. Um, <laughs> there's a hook that comes with running from the saber-toothed tiger. And it gets everyone's adrenaline up. And I think these, um, I think these messengers are, are getting, are dig, and, the, and the media are digging deep into whatever it is in our psyche that makes us um, addicted to fear. And, and it's effective. Like, I, I, I was, uh, believe it or not, I'm like one of three brothers in the world that went cross-country skiing this morning. And... Um, <laughs> It's All you like, Canadians. Oh my goodness. It wasn't like traditional cross country. It's like skate skiing too. It's like very, uh, you know, not ethnic. I'm allowed to say that. Um, and hey, Indians don't okay, And um, people, there was a, I mean, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's a lady that had uh, some kind of, I don't know, immunocompromised condition or lung condition, what have you, but outside, like, triple like triple mass kind of thing you know what i mean and i've seen young people do the same thing the short version is i think the the fear messaging has come across and one thing that's been lost is kind of like people really knowing what their risks are like you know what i mean like yeah like a 23 year old that is you know with no conditions like i don't know if they many of them really appreciate how little of a chance they are they have to die from COVID. You know what I mean? We, we have to take fault for that, that we seem to have messaged um, this uh, COVID message differently in a way, because you're absolutely right. Children, I mean, I just quoted you the statistics at the beginning, and we've kept school closed for a year in some places. Um, it's appalling, um, but their, their risks are very low. And then you're right, young people's risks are low. So that's why actually I watched that movie Contagion because everyone mm-hmm. dropped dead. It was horrible. Yeah. It was a horrible movie. Little children, <laughs> older people. It was just a horrible paramix of virus or whatever they were making up. And, and this is not what SARS-CoV-2 is. And so um, the fear, wow, has penetrated. And there was this article in Washington Post this morning 
called Fear of Normal. She, she Dr. Lucy McBride, McBride uh, turned this, um, uh, the, coined this term phono. It used to be like fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. This is now fear of normal. Um, that what is it going to take that as these vaccines take hold, that mercifully cases and hospitalizations are dropping, that this is the ultimate solution of the pandemic? What is it going to take for us to greet one another again, to, to um, shake hands, to hug, to you know, not have that flinching aspect that you have described the last time we spoke, that people mm-hmm. have flinched away from their children, not, oh you know, just this fear. I mean, that what does that teach a child that someone's flinching away from them? Um, and then, right, the fear of like being outside where the ventilation is so clearly on your side and you're not mm-hmm. going to get COVID, um, but uh, having that uh, excessive masking. Yeah, I, I, ho- I hope. I mean, I mean, it's a good transition, actually, like when do you when do you think we'll get back to normal life like i i i was asked a an, uh, question on an interview the other day like when will it be safe if grandma is vaccinated can can she hug my grandkids or whatever and i'm like i'm sorry but i hope so like what's the point you know what's the what's the point of this if we're going to be that's one of the saddest you know I mean? like questions that i've heard in the last month can grandma hug grandchild it's yes. so sad and we keep on doing story after story. By the way, resounding yes, right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. But yeah, in your opinion, do you, I mean, it's kind of a, I don't want to say give you like point towards a date where you think things will get closer to normal, but what, in your mind, is there a timeline where you think we're hugging again, we're going to concerts, we're uh, in boardrooms together again? Like, is there a timeline you, you perceive? Yeah, I have a theory about this. So, I okay, number one, I'm proud of Canada, not because they're rapidly rolling out vaccine, but they're going to. The reason I'm proud of Canada is that you approved four vaccines. And Mm -hmm. I was very impressed with that, right? Because that's going to increase supply. That's going to increase the rollout. You're going to do the one dose and wait for a while. And that is uh, all appropriate. That's what the UK did. They only approved three. You're approving four, so you're upping the game. Um, And and you'll get it out fast. So you're, I hope, making up for last time. We are vaccinating more quickly here in the United States, um, and I'm watching Israel and the UK as the fastest uh, rollers out, and um, they are already starting to release that fear. Uh, and uh, in Israel, they're actually doing immune passports, and you can go into crowded therapy, uh, sorry, crowded a theater. But ultimately, I think that if I like project this out, if everyone, a US person at least can get it by the mid or end of May, um, you, know, you get your first dose, then second dose, three or four weeks later. I'm thinking mid-July that mm-hmm. life is going to be very normal and maybe September is like extremely normal. The question is, what will it, um, you know, what will it do to take people's fear away? I've also been thinking about that and I'm not sure I need to look back at history books and understand this more, but I have heard that the roaring 20s uh, yes. that happened, have you heard this? Yeah. Um, that, that happened after World War One was not just because of the pain and misery of war, but because of the 1918 pandemic and our relief in seeing each other without masks and being close to one another. And there were parties and there were uh, pretty dresses and, <laughs> and Kate Gatsby. And, you know, so I, I am hoping that the human spirit will indomitably uh, shine through and we will stop flinching at our fellow man and, um, you know, be even closer than ever. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, and, and honestly, on paper too, when you think about not only the the amount of mass vaccinations that are going to happen, yeah, if it's similar to the summer where you're seeing minimal cases that are going to be uh, in hospital and intensive care units, 
you'll see the cases. I don't know. Maybe the cases will fluctuate. I'm not sure. But um, that, that slow confidence that you'll see. And the other thing that I'm excited about the states, like from a Canadian perspective, that sounds like there's already areas that are like open, open. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, Texas is open, open. Yeah, they may be going a little too fast, right. but let's actually the experiment will play out. And that's the other important thing is that we should be um, we should be scientifically true. Uh, that we need to see what's happening in Texas and then versus California. California is doing it slowly. That I actually approve of lifting restrictions slowly with mass vaccination. But if Texas shows us that the mass vaccination is so fast and lifting restrictions didn't do damage, I, I, I would hope that media and scientists would report on that accurately. Yeah. Um, uh, so one thing I do want to go back to something that you said that's really important, hospitalizations, um, deaths, you know, we would not have gotten into uh, SARS-CoV-2 trouble if there were cases of uh, SARS-CoV-2. We wouldn't have even been swabbing people's noses. Um, it was really the severe illness that, that uh, got December 31st, 2019, the declaration um, uh, to the WHO that this is what's going on in Wuhan. And then the uh, de- declaration of the, um, what this was, SARS-CoV-2 on January 11th. And then, and then unfortunately, the declaration of the pandemic on March 11th which is, by the way, tomorrow, a one-year anniversary. Um, it's severe disease, it's hospitalizations, it's deaths that uh, is so troubling and, and so terrible. You've seen it firsthand as an ICU doctor. And so um, I think that one idea is to look at that metric uh, and Reach. as our most important metric at this moment, Reach. watching it drop like a stone, which it is. I, I watch it every day. And then the cases, like you say, they could go up and down depending on your testing, depending on variants, but it's the hospitalizations that we care about. Yes, and it ties to Monica because I've been when anytime I get uh, a microphone or I'm, I'm doing any media now, it's this is the marker, okay? Yeah. Uh, and and the reason I think it is is which I'll get you to comment on is the actual uh, effectiveness of these vaccines. Like we get caught up in the the numbers, like this this is sixty eight percent efficacious and and so on. But when we actually look at the most important metrics, going to hospital, going to an, like end up on a ventilator or dying, like it's almost like it's almost unbelievable to say how effective these vaccines unbelievable. are. Unbelievable. I mean, yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, there will be statistical quibbles about that. Like I've I've seen it lately, but this is the issue. Okay, if you don't, if you think that the number of severe outcomes were limited in the eight clinical trials that have shown the finding that you just said, that severe disease hospitalizations and deaths are almost completely eliminated by the vaccines. If you find these uh, clinical trials limited, let's do real world. It's so December 2020 to think about the clinical trials. <laughs> we're, in, <laughs> we're in March 2021. We have real world data um, in uh, from Israel, from United Kingdom, from nursing homes here in the United States, where hospitalizations and those who are mass vaccinated, um, our CMA data are, are, are so low now that, that, that um, nursing home uh, residents in the United States have been mass vaccinated. So um, if, you, if you want to quibble with the clinical trials, let's look at real world data. Have you ever in your life as a doctor 
had something be rolled out like seconds after the clinical trial data was in press release and playing it out on the world stage so that effectiveness can be examined just as we look at efficacy of the clinical trials. It's like effectiveness is mirroring efficacy in the clinical trials and we're watching it happen. It's unprecedented. Uh, uh, It really is unbelievable. This is one of the things I'm hoping we like take away from COVID is the, um, the, what's the word? Like the go get them, like the um, get rid of the barriers, like have that, like the agility yeah. to think like we're going to, if we're going to evaluate something, we're going to do it aggressive. We're going to try and um, learn quick. You know what I mean? Like, and just embrace the yes. findings and adjust our interventions or therapies accordingly. Because I mean, I've never, like in my world in ICU, we have, we have proven therapies that are 10 years old that we still don't adopt well. Do you know what I mean? You know, it's interesting. And, and I'm going to put in a plug for my community. I think HIV informed COVID regulatory process and made it happen faster. I really mm. do. It, I, I'm, I'm going to give credit to the HIV advocates uh, at the beginning of the HIV pandemic that, you know, um, literally stormed the FDA, said you need to regulate, you need to put out emergency authorizations quick uh, for drugs in this life-saving, for life-saving drugs in HIV. You need to do parallel tracks and and give and change to compassionate uh, use uh, later. You need to uh, review grants quickly. And I am proud of the HIV community because I think it set a precedent for things happening more fast. But also if the whole world screeches to a halt and you throw money at a problem and you're in 2020, and there's all this technology available. Um, it worked. It, it happened. It happened fast. And I am, I don't think we'll ever go back to things happening slowly, at least on a worldwide so. emergency. I hope that happens. I hope, like I hope you're right, care. Monica. And in other fields. And it, it gets back to your roaring 20s point, actually, a, a <laughs> bit. The fact that like a year later and we have these vaccines, like we really should be like celebrate like jumping the, up and down. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't stop jumping up and down and really like, okay. Just this morning I looked at uh I looked at the CDC website and they called vaccines one more tool in the toolkit. I'm like, no man, no, my friend, no, no, panacea solution. Tool in the toolkit is like a nail. Tool in the toolkit is like mass distancing and ventilation. Panacea solution, ultimate tool, right? Mm-hmm. Not a tool, it's the solution. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, and you mentioned it too, like, um, you know, there's other, uh, what's, the, what's the acronym we all use? The uh, intervention. Anyway, there's all these um, interventions that we're doing that really mitigate risk. And yes. but, like, but like vaccines, it's, you know, like pharmaceutical interventions. Yes, thank NPIs. you. NPIs. NPI, those, thank you. Those were, were applied. They needed to be applied. I would argue that um, places like Japan actually played, uh, applied them really. Uh, effectively without strict lockdowns. They use their masking, ventilation, and distancing to their advantage and still kept many places open. Uh, they use this three C's acronym. We, um, depending on where you were in the state, use a lot of uh, lockdowns. Um, but NPIs were the tool before. Those are tools. And then I consider um, the, 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 the vaccines the ultimate protection. What's the three C's? You know, it's actually, it meant it stands for close contact, crowded spaces. And, um, and there's something else, but I actually think it means cover up with the distancing. 
Okay. I mean, sorry, the masking. So they they applied three C's as their um, as their strategy. They've had very low rates of severe illness and death, and they've also had much less impact on their economies and on their school children because mm. they took the biology of the virus, which as soon as we figured out that masks work, the distancing works, and that ventilation, not going crazy, but ventilation works, you know, let's not mm. to go crazy. I think that's what the school study showed, open a window. Um, but those three strategies, I call the three you know, most important NPIs, non-pharmaceutical interventions, and they applied those and still kept things safe. You can't sit next to each other in a subway. You have to sit, um, you know, far away from each other. But they applied those and they kept their rates of severe illness and death. And they didn't um, do the amount of uh, uh, lockdown that we did in the United States, at least. For uh, You know what that is? That's learning. That's trying to live with this thing. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah. trying to like keep your humanity you know, yeah. and keep your 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 values and your roots because it's amazing. It, I mean, I, I can't quantify it. Maybe you you would have a better appreciation, but you know, like I don't even know if I go if I went to my kids' class right now if the window would be open. But these things are like they're effective. Like you know, yeah, I mean? like they're so effective. You know, and we don't. And we learned just about, talk about them uh, pretty quickly. We learned about them like in March, twenty twenty. So by April, we could have applied them more effectively. I actually just wrote a paper with, a, uh, it's in OFID, uh, just got published. It didn't get any attention. That's okay. But um, it it's now. a business. It will now. <laughs> and it is number two medical podcast. What? <laughs> um, but it was in a business. Um, I wrote it with the, the business person where they never closed. Uh, they never closed their business, not even once. And there was multiple sites around the country. They just kept it open with these three NPIs, mass distancing ventilation. And their rates of severe illness were so low. I mean, basically it turned it into a cold. Like um, mm -hmm. if, if anyone got sick, it was just like the school studies, the transmission didn't occur within the business if you applied those three. And I use that, that as an example that we could have applied more effectively all our knowledge and done that, those three NPIs, while we were waiting for the ultimate solution of the vaccine. But instead, because of this culture of fear, um, there were a lot of closures that have collateral effects uh, like on children. So I, I hope, yeah, give that, give that some attention. That'd be nice. Uh, we'll give us some props for real. <laughs> um, this kind of goes, ties into a little bit of the, so I'll tell you a quick story. I went to, I'm going into work. There's an area where we get our scrubs or whatever. And I got, because I'm still a growing man, I, I have a massive lunch kit. And, and, I, and I was on the phone, I think, at the same time. So I put my lunch kit down and the employee was like, sorry, you've, contam you've contaminated this area. Can you lift up your uh, lunch oh kit? Oh my gosh. And I was, oh, on no. the phone, I was on the phone with another doc and I was like, excuse me? And, and I'm like, you know what? If I say something, I'm going to end up like in trouble. I'm just going to walk away and pretend that th th this was, you know, I'm, I'm not going to educate her right now. She's not going to believe me. But on, like, the, on the no risk of fomites and surfaces. Yeah, the foam, and, it was still, yeah, you yeah. know, people still think they need to wash their uh, I, groceries, I, yo. Actually, we just did another paper in Lancet ID where we showed that hand hygiene probably, yes, there's never been a study that that even reduces the risk of SARS-CoV-2. That's actually for rhinoviruses and uh, rotavirus, for example. So, yeah, it really isn't a fomite surface spread infection and what the story you just described and this i hope yeah i mean you're saying this happened in march 2021 i know these terms have been coined pandemic theater virtue signaling these are interesting you know terms that we're going to come away with but it, it can be destructive right because you weren't allowed to kind of enjoy your 
moment where you needed to put down your lunch, um, you're a busy doctor in that hospital um, and didn't need to be told that. And uh, and third, you know, uh, actually, I'm really worried about the anti. I'm an ID doctor, okay. So mm-hmm. I'm worried about antimicrobial resistance with all this excessive use of disinfectants and all this stuff that we're doing. Oh my gosh, stop wiping down those those surfaces. I mean, this this is why some of the playgrounds were closed, right? You yeah. know, and um, that was awful. That was so I'm, awful. I I have no proof of this, and I might get in trouble for saying this, but and it just might be coincidence. But I do feel like we're getting. In the ICU, we are seeing way more resistant bugs. Like, oh pipped, my, you know okay. what I mean? Like, you I'm just saying, like, clenched like, my infectious disease doctor heart and broken it in ten because I can't. We can't have. You know, this is this phrase. This is this is just a new phrase, right? Collateral damage. Yeah. The collateral damage. I mean, you can. We can spend the whole time saying the school closures, the overdose deaths, but I, I am, I really were worried about the disinfecting, the excessive disinfection. Yeah. Like I know we're in different uh, areas, but you know, if I get a critically ill patient now that comes in with, you know, septic shock, I, I'm worried that the Piptazo, one of our strongest antibiotics, yeah. isn't depending oh on, my it, might not be, oh, no. it, it might not be fair game. Like, you know, we, and I certainly have colleagues that are, and I, maybe I, that will be going to Miropenum, Vanco, uh, for example, if someone's oh, coming no. in with because those antimicrobial um, wipes are like full of you know broad spectrum kind of uh, antibiotics, and I don't want those around for bacteria to see them. It's just yeah. so wrong. It's such a selective drug pressure. Yeah, no, and it's. I mean, it. This is the first conversation I've actually had about this, but because once again, I'm often too afraid to bring this up because it, you know, it's when it comes to secondary consequences, often it it could be. People could be Don't very be afraid. Critical. You're on the right side of history. I actually keep on thinking when I look at your tweets and I look at your podcast, you are on the right side of history. And so even though both of us probably get yelled at um, a lot, uh, actually, I've been yelled at so much more than I've ever been yelled at during COVID. I never get yelled at usually. Um, we, uh, we are on the right side of history to think about school openings, to think about the safety for children, to think about overdose prevention, to think about antimicrobial resistance, to think about the collateral effects, especially now that we have vaccines and we are going to shut down this pandemic. Yeah, no, it's, I think I, I really appreciate you saying that Monica, cause, um, and I, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know, at the end of the day, for me, I got to look at myself in the mirror. That's the, right. other, the, the other thing I got to do is I, I look at my three, my three boys and, you know, it's been preached from a young age. You stick up for those that can't stick up for themselves. You, like justice is an important thing. Like, you know, I'm sure you've been uh, as a woman physician, as a, you know, in, uh, Indian background, you've been, you know, had a ton of injustices shot towards your way and you know how yes. it feels and you know how it's wrong. And I think that's why I, I think personally, that's I wear it on my sleeve. Yes, I might, I don't know, might impact career, might impact uh public opinion in some places, but I don't care, man. I'm extremely proud of you. And I'm proud to know you because I think anyone, and there's just like a handful actually of people, because a lot of people believe this, right? Like what we're talking about, but they are not uh, talking so often about it, Um, but they believe it. That's why you have so many followers and people cheer you on and all that. But um, people, people may not speak out as much, but I am proud to know people who think holistically about the devastation of this virus 
and the devastation of the pandemic response to this virus and the disproportionate impact on the poor, the working class, those who go to public schools. And I am proud to be around anyone who thinks holistically and makes decisions accordingly and speaks out accordingly. And that's you. And that is you as well. Champions, I'll tell you this, we will look (laughs) back at this and say, I still think, maybe this is inappropriate to say, but I don't know how many years it will be from now, but some of our response, people will be like, what the hell were we thinking? Yes. What were we thinking? Which is good because then hopefully it wouldn't happen again. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, when I close on my Twitter account, um, the, the minute the pandemic is over, um, people can look back at old tweets from everyone and say, oh, what were we thinking? What was the collateral damage? Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, Monica, I, I want to be cognizant of your time. This, as always, is spectacular. <laughs> and, and, and let me tell you, like, I think we, you have a lot of fans that you probably don't know about, but like I've actually one of my colleagues, Suman Chakrabarty, was like, you've interviewed Monica Gandhi? Like this is one of our national ID docs. It does a lot of media. It's like, you, how can I get a hold of mom? I just want to give, let her know how much we love her and how much she's. Uh, I like, I like anyone but, who's infectious disease and who's of Indian origin because yeah. not that many of us. No, Sometimes absolutely. they go into cardiology and GI. So yay, ID the Indian doctors. It's so true. It's so true. Am I allowed to say that? I just did. Anyway. Um, but uh no, what your advocacy and like you've seen you 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 have just gone like this and you'll be one of the the people that will look at at the end of this thing or wh- whose message people will be like remember Monica's message how it meant so much how we need to be looking at things more holistically and just having that non fear based communication that realism you know what I'm saying this is going to rain people will be thanking you. You're going to close that Twitter account, but then you're going to reopen it because people to. are going to be like, yo, 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 they want to just give you some love, man. This is this is a truth. So like people, people can send letters through the mail. I can't wait to close through the Twitter. mail. What is that? <laughs> Circa like 1983. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I, I got to like once again, just much love. Thank you for agreeing to do this. You're a superhero. You. And you've been a role model for me, for real, and giving me the courage to be more uh, outspoken. So thank you. My respect and admiration is right back at you. So thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, Cast Nation, tell me Monica ain't the most wonderful human being you've heard in a while. Thank you once again for listening, crew. Leave any comments at quadcast99 at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at Quadcast. Yo, leave that five-star rating. Come on, yo. iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen, leave that five-star rating. Leave a leave a review. Helps with the visibility of the show. As you may have heard on the show, we recently were number two in the country. Let's keep up the hustle. Let's continue to change that boogie, yo. For real. Anyways, thanks so much for listening, crew, and we'll connect again real soon. Peace.